scripture reading this morning will come from Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master had given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my, uh, my wife and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. First of all, thank you for being here in a place of worship today. And for those of you that are joining us online, we're delighted that you're with us as well. And it's a beautiful Sunday. It's abnormally warm here in the south. In fact, I read in the paper that it may well break a record today, but that's another matter. Welcome to Montgomery in February, right? It's a delight to see each of you here this morning. And Sam, thank you so much for the thoughts that you shared with us and directing our thoughts at the Lord's Supper table. I read not long ago somewhere that There are two great questions that every human being is going to have to confront in his or her life. Question number one is, was Jesus really raised from the dead? Number two, what are you going to do about it? I believe that's right. I had the opportunity this past week to speak uh, twice uh, over at Don Meyer's preacher in his work class. That was an experience. I enjoyed that. And it made me think about a story that I heard many, many years ago that Brother C.W. Bradley told on himself. Brother Cecil, you... Do you know Brother Bradley? And uh, whether that actually happened or not, I don't know whether it was a preaching story, but uh, uh, he was talking about the fact that uh, there's always God will put somebody in the life of a preacher that will keep him humble. Many times that's your own wife. And uh, that happened to Brother Bradley one time. He was holding a gospel meeting somewhere, and his wife had gone with him, and they were staying in a motel room, of course, and getting ready for a, uh, uh, to, get to, to go to church and to preach that night. But Uh, For those of you who don't know that when a preacher goes somewhere else and preaches, he probably gets a lot more, well, no probably, he gets a lot more compliments than he's normally accustomed to at home. And so Brother Bradley was kind of feeling full of himself. And so as he was dressing and putting on his tie that night, he said out loud, be careful what you say out loud around your wife, by the way. Uh, He he said out loud, I wonder, you know, just how many great preachers there are in the brotherhood. And her immediate response was, I don't know the exact number. But I do know there's one less than you think. So uh, there, there's somebody who will always, will always keep you humble. And, and those of us who preach need to remember that. We live in a very unique time. I think we all are in agreement on that point. The last year that we, can you believe it's almost been a year since this pandemic started. But has been incredibly different. It's been weird in so many different ways. And yet we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9 when wise Solomon said there is nothing new under the sun. That axiom is so old and so often used that I think most people who use it don't even know that it comes from the Bible. But Solomon was right about that. And by the way, Solomon who said that was considered to be the wisest mortal man who ever walked the face of the earth. But despite the truthfulness of that statement, there's just some things that still come along in life that I have to admit just really surprise me. 
For example, growing up, even through my, my days in college, I don't remember ever seeing anyone except former servicemen who had tattoos. And yet today we see both men and women with tattoos. And some folks even have a good portion of their bodies just completely covered with, with ink. Ladies and girls used to wear earrings. And yet those earrings were not, they were attached to the outside of the earlobe. My mom used to call those ear bobs. Has anybody ever heard that expression? Ear bobs. And I used to wonder when she put them on, what does Bob have to do with this? But anyway, but it was only later that there came the, the, you know, the fad of piercing the earlobe and then putting the, the, the ring or whatever ornament in, in, in the ear in that way and wear them in that fashion. And I, I don't really remember when ear piercing came into vogue for, for women. And I still have to say I'm a bit surprised when I see so many men who have their ears pierced, oftentimes both of them. In my day, that would have been considered girly. But, I can, but I, I can also remember in the 90s when you began to see more than an ear pierced. The new fashion back then became to be body piercing. And, and so today you see a, a number, uh, quite a number of both sexes with tattoos and pierced ears and even more with body and, and facial piercings. In fact, it wasn't that long ago at the Harley-Davidson dealership that I saw some guy who had so much ornamentation on his face, he looked like he had fallen face first into a tackle box. You know what I mean? So that, that has got to be kind of uh, the norm for us in our society today. And I want to assure you that it is not my intention in this lesson to either condemn or to endorse those practices. Although I would caution you to remember that, that body decorations of that sort, and especially tattoos, are normally permanent. And that beautiful, beautiful butterfly in just a few years is going to become a moth. <laughs> now, I want to take that thought and drop it into scripture. And I appreciate very much Campbell reading that passage. I'm not going to reread it this morning, but I want us to appreciate what it is that's going on there. Because I want us to consider for just a few minutes this morning a song that, that we sometimes sing and Art has announced that we're going to be singing as our song of invitation that's called Pierce My Ear. And I would hasten to say that it has absolutely nothing to do with cultural fads and, and body piercings or enhancement. But that song, I think, carries a very real spiritual message nonetheless. Let me read the words to the song. And again, we're going to be singing it in just a few minutes. But the, but the lyrics go like this. Pierce my ear, O Lord my God. Take me to your door this day. I will serve no other God. Lord, I'm here to stay. You had me at verse 1. That's a powerful statement. And then verse 2. For you have paid the price for me with your blood. You ransomed me. I will, I will serve you eternally. A free man I'll never be. So pierce my ear, O Lord my God. Take me to your door this day. I will serve no other God. Lord, I'm here to stay. Lord, I'm here to stay. The song was uh, composed by Steve Croft, and it's my understanding with a little research that verse 3 is credited to Matt uh, Brasford, but uh, I, I wanted you to know who, who wrote this beautiful song. And to me, it's a very thought-provoking, it's a, an emotionally moving song, but only if you understand its uh, you know, origin and, and the meaning of the song and, and, and the, the tradition and the custom behind it. Since scripture dictates that, that we're to sing with the spirit and with the understanding also, we, we need to be mindful of the songs we sing. We need to pay attention to the words. And I think that once they do, 
that that, uh, that will mean even more to us. Uh, me and I, in fact, had a conversation on the way over to the church building this morning about some of the songs that we didn't particularly care for when we were growing up. But now, as, as hopefully we have matured as Christians, those songs are deeply meaningful to us now because we're stepping into the river at a different place in our lives. But I would encourage you to really pay attention to the words of the songs as we sing them because so many of them are just sermons within themselves. And if we don't pay attention to the words, then guess what? We're not worshiping. We're just lip syncing. So, so that's a, an encouragement to each of us to, to take some time and, and to expend some mental effort to really lock into the words of the song. So we sing songs of praise to God. We offer thanks and adoration to our Heavenly Father, and that's the primary thrust of, of the songs that we sing here when we're in a worship capacity. But we also sing songs to encourage and build one another up. Uh, edify is the biblical word that usually is used in that context. And Colossians 3 verse 16 is where Paul talks for just a short period of time about the singing that we do in our worship. And he tells us that in our singing that we're also not just praising and adoring and glorifying God. I think that's the primary purpose. But a part of what we're doing is teaching and edifying and admonishing one another as well. At least that's what he said in Colossians 3.16. Now, let me say this also. Because this, is, I think, is really a part of, of really appreciating this song. I can remember when certain youth songs or devotional songs, as we call them, first began to be sung in our, in our worship assemblies. And I can remember the complaints that I heard about those songs, or many of those songs, uh, when we first began to sing them. Like, there's not any meat in those songs. You know, it's just fluff. It's all meringue and no pie. There's too much repetition in fact, I heard somebody tell this uh, little anecdote. You know the difference between a praise song and a worship song. A worship song is, oh, how I love Jesus. A praise song is, oh, how I really, 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 really love Jesus. And, and so that was the criticism that was brought against those devotional songs because they're too repetitious. Or some people would say they're too trite. There's not any spirituality or spiritual instruction in those songs. I would disagree with most of those criticisms for the simple reason that many of those wonderful songs are, are drawn straight from Scripture. How can you criticize that? There are actually texts of the Bible that are set to music, and, and many of them are so powerful in their message and so moving, I think, if we really appreciate what it's saying to us and communicating to us as, as believers. I would surely disagree then with the criticisms. I believe that there are many songs in our songbooks that, that we use in our worship services that are less spiritually minded and certainly don't come straight from Scripture as some of those songs that we used to consider to be just devotional songs. Now, with that in mind, that brings us to the song, Pierce My Ear, that I want us to think about together this morning. The song is taken from, as, as was just read, from Exodus chapter 21, and specifically the first six verses. If you want to keep your Bible open to that, that place, I, I would encourage you to do that. By the way, on your own time sometime, you might want to turn over and look at the comparative reading in Deuteronomy chapter 15, specifically verses 12 through 17, and that'll kind of flesh that out for you. But it has to do with, and I'm sure you picked up on that in, in the reading a moment ago, it has to do with, with, with a Hebrew uh, owning another Hebrew as a slave. And, and, and again, appreciate the fact that we're talking about just a Hebrew-Hebrew relationship. One Hebrew owning another Hebrew as a slave. And one of the things that we need to know that the text makes quite clear is that you could not own another Hebrew for more than six years. 
So that was when the kind of the statute of limitations ran out. So only six years was that allowed. And, and at the end of that time, if, if, if watch this carefully, if a, if a slave had a wife and, and children prior to becoming a slave, then the wife and the children could leave with him when it came time for him to be liberated. So only if he already had a wife and children before he was indentured as a slave, when the six years was up, then he was, when he was liberated, he was allowed to take his wife and children with him. But... And the scripture also spells this out. If the owner gave the slave his wife and the children were born during that six-year period, the slave was still allowed to leave at the end of six years, no longer considered a slave at all. But he could not take his wife and children with him. Now that led to a decision. And as you can imagine, an agonizingly painful decision Do I allow myself to be liberated, emancipated, no longer a slave to this person, and leave my wife and children whom I love behind? So he had to make a choice, and it was a grueling choice that was made. Look especially, if you will, at verses 5 and 6 here in Exodus 21. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, and I will not go out free... Then the master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. That just means that if he wants to keep his wife and children, he would have to make a choice to be a slave for the rest of his life. So the man who made the choice to remain a slave in order to to, to, to maintain that relationship, that familial relationship with his wife and children, would have to allow the master to place that sign of permanence upon him, and that was the pierced ear. So the owner would, of the slave would take an awl, that's A-W-L, and that was a, an instrument that looked kind of like an ice pick, and it was used to punch holes in wood and, and in leather, and that was a common instrument used back in those days. But he would take that awl, and, and he takes the slave to, to the door, and, and this is to be done in the presence of God. I suppose that that added a degree of gravitas and solemnity to the ceremony and helped him to appreciate how serious this was. So he would take him to the door or the doorpost, and then the master pierces the ear of the slave and signifying that the man will, has agreed to permanently be his slave and that the slave has willingly and voluntarily bound himself to that master for the rest of his natural life. Now, I dare you with that understanding. Maybe you knew that already. But, but if you didn't, I dare you to sing this song again ever in your life without thinking about the significance of that and what that means to us in a spiritual way. So the concept of choosing to be a slave or to be a free man is a very interesting concept. And it's one that doesn't just appear here in Exodus 21. It's found throughout Scripture. You'll find this whole master-slave relationship talked about in, in the spiritual dimension over and over again in Scripture, especially in the book of Colossians and other New Testament books. And, and the Bible tells us that if, if we are Christians, guess what? We're all slaves. And we need to know that. And the Greek word for slave is doulos or doulos, depending on who you studied Greek under. And, and kurios is, is the master in that relationship. And the idea is that when I decided to become a Christian, when, I'm, when I signed on to be a follower of Jesus Christ for the rest of my life, I understand that I am a slave in that relationship. And, that's, and, and, and the word slave almost always brings up negative connotations, doesn't it? 
I mean, we've had riots this past year over that concept, and, and, and we don't want to ever forget our, our history. We want to learn from that. But by the same token, when we think of, of being a, a bondservant or a slave, spiritually speaking, it ought to co- come a, as we grow spiritually into a situation where we think of that fondly and wonderfully. It is a wonderful thing, and it may not sound like it on the outside. It is a wonderful thing for me to have indentured myself to the Lord Jesus Christ and for me to have been willing to say whatever it takes, whether it's a sign of permanence or or whether it's a demonstration of my faith before a crowd of people. I am more than willing to sign on and to follow Jesus Christ, to walk in his footsteps for the rest of my natural life. I am willing for him to pierce my ear. So that others will know that I am his follower. And I I will try to the very best of my ability to never be ashamed of the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I will never be ashamed to wear the name Christian. So the concept of choosing to be a slave and and to to follow and, and to be owned by a master is one that is used often in scripture because it does have a very real spiritual dimension. You know, as citizens of the United States, we really love our freedom, don't we? I mean, you think about the number of times that our freedoms have been at least restricted or threatened, and we've been willing to go to war to defend those freedoms. But especially, you think back a few centuries ago, how that we involved ourselves in, by ourselves, I mean, historically speaking, in, in a revolutionary war in which we were determined to, to win our freedom from Mother England. And, and we, by the way... We won that war. If Philip Hardy is here, no offense intended. He's English. <laughs> but, but even when we think about that, we think, that's a long, long time ago. And maybe too often we tend to take our freedoms for granted. You know, sometimes even siblings are heard to argue with one another, and one will say to the other, you are not the boss of me. I mean, you know, we learn to protect our freedoms very early in life. Think about being indentured to another person for the rest of your life. And that's what's being talked about here in our text in Exodus chapter 21. Now let me begin the application part of this lesson with a very simple, straightforward question. Do you know that if you are a Christian, that you are a slave? By now, I know that you know that. But in reality, everyone in this whole world is a slave to someone or something. They may deny it, and they may not know it. But if we are not voluntary slaves of Jesus Christ, by default, we are slaves to Satan and sin. And that isn't just because Randy says so. That's because the Bible affirms over and over again that that's the case. If you want proof for it, look at Romans 6, verse 16 and following. Please turn there and look at that text with me for just a moment this morning. Romans 6, 16 is where the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? So it doesn't really matter what we say with our mouth. We demonstrate by our life, by our practices, by our actions, by the decisions that we make, who it is that we are indentured to. Who it is that we have signed on to be a slave to and for. And in this case, the Lord is saying, or, or, or the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write these words, and especially in the first century where that, that slave-master relationship was very real and was very present 
that, that when you do that, that you demonstrate by, by whom you obey whose master that you belong to. And, and then he goes on to say in verses 17 and 18, take a look at those two verses, but God be thanked, and remember he's writing to Roman Christians here, but God be thanked that though you were, past tense, slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, some versions say, to which you are committed. And then verse 18, and having then... We might add the word then, that's not in the text, but having then been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So God be thanked not that you are ever lost in sin, but the fact that you used to be lost and now you are slaves of righteousness. That's the reason why Paul is giving thanksgiving. That's the reason for this exaltation and, and, and patting these Roman Christians on the back for the good choice, the wonderful decision that they made to follow Jesus. And to tell him, you can pierce my ear any time, because I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be owned by you for the rest of my life. So don't miss that. His, the whole concept is based on the premise that you are a slave to somebody. And the two options are, according to Romans six sixteen through 18 that we just read, the two options are, you and I will either be a voluntary slave to righteousness and Jesus Christ, or we will be an involuntary slave to sin and Satan. And there are no other options. Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. And so at some point, we have to make that spiritual decision in our lives. I hope that you are here this morning because you have already made that wonderful decision to follow Jesus. And to say, he is my master, I am his, his slave, and I I exalt in that fact. I, I honor him and I glorify him for that fact because I know that as my master, he will never ask of me anything of me that is not in my best interest. And that whatever it is that he calls upon me to do and whatever it is that I submit to him about as, as a slave in this slave-master relationship, I know that it will make me a better person. I know that I will grow spiritually and that I will come out on the other side of that experience not only stronger spiritually, but also with a better understanding of what this whole world and life is all about. I'll, I'll come out with a right worldview. All of these things, I think, are part and parcel of this, of this package of this master-slave relationship. You may remember back in the 1900s. Y'all remember the 1900s? There was a song that was written and sung, and, and it got quite a bit of airplay on, on the radio that said, and, and I'm quoting the lyrics, you have to serve someone. Either you'll serve the devil or you will serve the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Now, surprisingly, that wasn't a church song. Some of you may remember that the singer and the songwriter was none other than Bob Dylan. Uh, that's not the kind of song that I would have thought of Bob Dylan ever writing or singing. But still, it, it really falls right in line with what we're talking about this morning. And, and really, he was just copying what Paul had already said. But it's true. You make a choice each day that you'll serve either Satan or the Lord. Because you will obey and do what pleases one or the other. Jesus said in John 8, verse 34, truly Truly, I say to you, everyone who commits, let me stop parenthetically and add that the word commits there is linear, ongoing in action. So the passage would read literally, whoever keeps on committing sin is a slave to sin. Notice what, what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, if you ever make a mistake, that makes you a slave to sin again. 
That's not the case. 1 John 1, 7 defies that. But it does say if you keep on committing sin, that is after you have said, I want to be a slave to Jesus Christ, and yet sin is still habitual and ongoing and regular in your life, then Jesus said the reality is you're still a slave to sin. We need to remember that as we live our Christian lives. And I remind you that earlier I read from Romans 6.16 in which Paul said basically the same thing. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to, to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either in sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? And then verse 17 is where Paul kind of looks back and expresses sincere thanks that even though at one point they had been slaves to unrighteousness and to sin, they had become obedient from the heart, that form of teaching to which they were committed. And Paul, again, had to have said that and written that with a smile on his face. So I'm just saying this morning, it doesn't really matter what we say with our lips. Our sins makes us either a slave to Satan or our actions demonstrate that we are a slave to righteousness and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Life and lips may contradict. You may remember that even in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew seven twenty one is where Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, that is, acknowledges his deity, it will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So if our lips and our lives are in disaccord, everybody is going to believe what they see and not what they hear. We need to make sure that what we're professing is what we're practicing in life. But I want to end with this thought. It's because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. As we gathered around this table this morning, I I hope that that was not an empty ritual for any of us. You know, there's a difference between tradition and traditionalism. Y'all know that, don't you? Tradition is something that we've done the same way over and over again. And it may be that we've done it that way because that's the pattern and the precedent that the Bible establishes for us. But traditionalism is when we've done something so long we don't remember why we're doing it. And I pray and I hope that that's not what happens when we gather around this table. I hope that this is the central figure of our entire week. And I hope that when we leave here, That we all do that with a song in our heart and with praise on our lips for a Jesus that was willing to die on the cross for every single one of us so that we wouldn't have to die. And so that at the end of a life of service and obedience and and a demonstration of, of I know that my master is doing what is best for me every moment of every day, that someday we'll hear those words, well done. Good and faithful servant. Aren't you looking forward to hearing those words from the lips of our Lord himself? So it's because of what he's done for us that we even have the possibility of making this choice. Between whether we're going to serve sin and Satan or Jesus and righteousness. So my question to you this morning, my question to you right now is this. Are you a slave to sin or are you a slave to righteousness? Are you serving the Lord each day of your life, beginning with your conversion to him and putting him on in baptism based upon your faith and your repentance and your understanding and courage and willingness to say, I believe he is who he claimed to be, the son of God? Are you serving Satan and those who work for him by the kind of worldly, self-centered life that you're living? Even if you've been baptized at some point, or are you living a self-centered life? If so, guess what? You're indentured. Your slave ship is not to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's still to the world. 
And it's a hard question, but it's one, folks, that just really needs to be asked. It's a burning question because eternity rests on how we answer that one question. And you have to make a choice. Can you sing truthfully and with meaning today? So pierce my ear, O Lord my God. Take me to your door this day, for I will serve no other God. O Lord, I'm here to stay. Whose slave are you? And you can come today in faith and obedience and become a voluntary slave to righteousness. And you can do it right now while we stand and while we sing.